Hey everyone, Ryan Howard here. Just wanting to remind you all that now, instead of just listening to the podcast every Saturday morning, you can join us live on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on Twitch to watch and listen to my interviews each week. I'll also be doing a Saturday morning show called Danishes and Dragons, where I discuss both D&D campaigns and my favorite breakfast foods and coffees. I look forward to seeing each and every one of you, and you can find links to Twitch and YouTube in the show notes page. I hope you enjoy today's episode, and thank you very much for listening. Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your host, Dungeon Master and King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard. And real quick in chat, if uh, someone can just tell me if you guys can hear me currently, that would be great. This is my first time streaming, and I have no idea if I'm doing this right. Thank you to my lovely wife, the always cold lizard elf. Awesome. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've got a great show this evening. Uh, thank you for just kind of sticking with us as we got this first stream up and running. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a very special episode for me uh, because we are here to celebrate kind of the early days of, of D&D for me. I've brought on... My first ever dungeon master, the man who taught me everything that I know today about gaming. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the great and powerful Muhammad Amar. Muhammad, welcome to Rollin' Bones. Hey, Ryan, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no problem at all. Well, Muhammad, we are going to kick this off the same way we kick off all of these interviews. Uh, I've asked every single person in this group, except for Lucas, uh, all of these questions, and so we're going to just jump right in. First and foremost, how did you get into RPGs or D&D? For me, like, gaming was always my main hobby, so, like, ever since I was six or seven, I've been playing on the Nintendo. I was playing uh, Mario and stuff like that, but then from there I got into the Final Fantasy, the Mario RPG, Pokemon. Cool. It, and so I always kind of knew about Dungeons and Dragons from like that old cartoon show and just hearing about it from pop culture osmosis. Mm -hmm. I didn't really get to sit down and play it until like the mid 2000s with uh, 3.5, which. You know how I feel on 3.5, so. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, I was like mid-2000s, I started to play, and sort of immediately from playing 
I've always loved coming up with my own worlds and stuff. So wanting to become a DM sort of came naturally from there. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, um, I mean, I guess you, you already got into this a little bit. What, what was that first game that you played? Okay, so imagine a game where everybody, including myself, is that guy. <laughs> it was not a great first experience. I'm just lucky that it scared me away from the tabletop role playing forever. Hmm. Um, the DM didn't really know what he was doing. It sort of gave us everything which was fine up until the wizard became a lich at level 10. My uh, paladin became like a black card. Um, everybody just suddenly turned evil. Like, it was not an evil campaign to start with, but like within five sessions, everybody was evil. <laughs> it was something else. Amazing. Gotcha. Well, uh, from there, uh, you, you've mentioned him a little bit, but who is that first character? I legitimately do not remember his name <laughs> at this point. All I remember is that I wanted from the start to become a black guard because, like, I was going through my edgy phase. So the idea of this super evil knight with all these cool powers really appealed to me. So I ended up making a paladin with, like, Oh, his parents died because of, like, really strict laws. So he set out to, like, be this better person. And then by the end of it, somehow he became evil. Like, I don't remember the exact details, but, yeah, it was not my best work. Absolutely. I mean, look... As much as I loved my first character, let's be honest, wasn't my finest work either. Well, your first character I know of is Cromwell, and I fucking love Cromwell, so... <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. Like, I could go on, like, I had this whole thing about all the things I love about Cromwell that I could, like, take the entire podcast talking about. Like, you took, so what should be, like, a basic archetype, you know? fallen prince you've got zuko aragon all that but you did so much with them they really felt like an original and a great character <laughs> also i felt sorry for him by the end because literally everybody they knew became a tyrannical asshole so <laughs> i just felt bad for the guy by the end didn't we all didn't we all so as we kind of, you know, develop our, our games and stuff like that, you know, we go from game to game. A lot of times there is an NPC that will follow us uh, through all of our various games. So, Muhammad, do you have a forever NPC? And if so, who is it? A few NPCs I like to bring back where appropriate. Um, I've got these. They're a half-elf and half-orc siblings named Arya and Orn. And usually they start out as antagonists, but then you kind of realize that all they really want to do is kill their dad, who is this human bard, and just the absolute most evil asshole in the world. Um, I have for my superhero campaigns a 
school teacher with the B motive. You remember her, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Who has drones in yellow and black suits, and her name is Miss Beehive. <laughs> yep. Yep, I remember. I remember when the adjudicator and uh, I, I don't remember who everyone else was, but I was playing the adjudicator who was uh, the the ill-begotten. It was it was the ill-begotten love child of Daredevil and Nightwing, basically. And my last one is Jimmy, the dwarf kid that everybody hates. <laughs> I don't know why I keep bringing him back. He's this little dwarf kid that nobody likes in game. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes him. They're like, oh, you saved all our precious children. And Jimmy, I guess, just keeps throwing up. And I actually missed a question earlier. Um, we've talked about this a little bit, though. Of all the game systems that you've run, uh, if you had to pick a favorite, which one would you say it is? So I adore Mutants and Masterminds. Like, mm-hmm. I absolutely love what you can do with it. You know, we had that one, like, one shot. It was, like, nine people there. Mm-hmm. Every single person was a different superhero. Every single person got to contribute, and it was such a blast. Mm-hmm. But my other, like, the system that I'm really loving playing right now is called uh, Lancer. It's this mech combat system where, like, you put together your own mech, and it's a very tactical combat system. It is such a blast. I have so much fun with it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. So, let's see. When it comes to, you know, running the game, both as a player and then as a GM as well, how would you describe your play style? Well, I used to describe that as like a freestyle, very easygoing. But nowadays, I think of it more like I have these cool set pieces held together by duct tape and prayers. <laughs> you know, that one quote we saw uh, pinned in the group chat. I used to have an idea and then I allow the people into my game world. Yep. Um, but for the most part, I just try and keep it fun. I start to see what's working for my players and for myself mm-hmm. and go with it try not to take anything too personally and try to adjust as I see fit. And I do that both as a player and as a DM. As a player, I go for like, I know you guys definitely think I'm a power gamer and I definitely am. Like, I do not like making a character Mm -hmm. that can't do their function. But I do try and look into like party synergy and what would work best for the campaign. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like, oh yeah, my character can put out a ton of damage but you can also do all this like you can put up the Zora you can participate in these uh, diplomatic missions stuff like that mm-hmm. absolutely and one thing that I'll add to, to what you've said about uh, kind of the player side because this is something that you did a lot in the first game that I ran you're very good about uh, if there's an inexperienced GM or an inexperienced player, uh, you're, you know your book. And you're very good about, you know, reminding people and gently reminding them, not not like rules lawyering them, but gently reminding them, hey, this, you know, you can do this or, you know, there's this, this is how this works. And uh, 
being a first-time GM with uh, a few new players in that first session, especially, it was uh, it was great to to have you kind of along for the ride there. Definitely something I try to do, and sometimes I do worry about like overstepping, like with my character in your campaign. I thought it was like just trying to be really noble, really uh, into the RP, but then there were definitely times where I felt like I was stealing the spotlight or just taking too much of the scene. Mm-hmm. So I try, would try to step back from there. Oh, yeah. We, we will talk about Mutrakal in, in just a little bit. <laughs> Make it sound bad. Oh, I again, I love Mutrakal. Mutrakal was fantastic. He was great to have in that world, and a lot of cool stuff happened because of him. And so this is this is always a hard question for people. Uh, but there's a lot of great memories wrapped up in RPGs, especially kind of with our group, uh, as close as we all were to each other. So when it comes to the the memories from the table, what would you say would be your fondest RPG memory? Let's go three orbs at once. <laughs> because it happened every single time I've run that dungeon. <laughs> I have no idea if people listening know the story, but every single time I've run that dungeon, people have done it. Mm-hmm. They've touched all three words at once. Yeah, so I've actually not told that story on the air, so why don't you go ahead and, and tell them uh, basically what happened when, when it was our party, uh, because I I was I was the, the guilty one here. This was my fault. <laughs> It was a dungeon with pretty much like no combat. It was meant to be a puzzle dungeon. And they come across this one puzzle. It's three altars with a um, red, green, or red, black, and white orbs on them. And I don't remember the exact poem right now, but it was a poem alluding to like having to pay the price for balance. So they tried touching one of the orbs and immediately sets off a fireball right in the middle of the group. <laughs> so then somebody's just touching all three orbs at once, which would have set off a fireball, a cone of cold, and a, uh, what was it called, acid orb, mm-hmm. all at the exact same time. And every single time I've run that dungeon, that's been somebody's idea for it. It's just been absolutely it. But honestly, my like, that's always just one of my favorite moments of, oh my god, I didn't mean to screw you guys over, but here we are. But my actual promise memory said to me just be like, when you can really tell that the players are really getting into it, or like you managed to surprise them in a good way, or they managed to surprise you in a good way, us has been great for these moments. So of you, like, I can't really pick just one. Thank you. And I appreciate, you know, that, that you feel that, you know, I, I've been a part of so many good memories at the table. Because sometimes when I think back on, on the way that I played early on, I'm just like, oh, God, why? Why did I do even, that? <laughs> even away from the table, like one of my fondest memories was really early on, just like a few sessions in. The uh, third guy was no longer there, mm-hmm. but uh, David hadn't joined yet. So it was just you and me. So we didn't have to run the session that night. I figured we were both just going to leave early. 
But then we started talking about Dresden Files. <laughs> we just end up sitting there talking so long mm-hmm. that we actually left later than we normally did. Yep, absolutely. Then another time it was like Christmas right after we started playing. It was like a few months into the session. He just messaged me randomly about like sparkling ice flavors that flavored water. <laughs> and that was the first time anybody in the group like messaged me outside of like, hey, when's the next session? Hmm. So it's it's a memory that's really stuck with me as like when we really started to become friends. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I do remember that and I Honestly, I, do, I don't remember why we were talking about I, I feel like we talked about it at the game table, and then I messaged you afterwards about Sparkling Ice. Maybe. I don't remember why, but it was really nice to get that message. Hmm. Well, yeah. And again, you've been a part of so many great memories. Like, you were you were there on my wedding day. You were there on my 21st birthday. Um, and so... You and then, like, everyone else in the group, we were more than just a gaming group. We were family. We were we were as close as, as any gaming group could possibly be, and that's one of the things Absolutely. that I love so much about playing with you guys and why I miss you so much. And, like, we still meet up at least once a year, so it's like it's like a family reunion. It's so, so it's absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, now we've got to uh, to dive down into the depths of despair because for every good memory, there's a bad memory. We share the table with all kinds of people. Some of them become great friends of ours, and some of them just we don't click with. And the worst of these, we have reserved the term of that guy for. So, Muhammad, the... That guy story that you're comfortable with telling on the show, you may change names or omit names to protect uh, anyone who, who may be listening, uh, but but go ahead and, and tell that story. We'll say I feel like everybody at one point in their gaming career is that guy, mm-hmm. like, but it's rarely ever intentional. Like, I know I've been that guy and I try not to be, but I know it's happened. I know pretty much everybody in the group said that moment within our own group, but we're still friends because it's not intentional and we get over it. Mm-hmm. There was one guy who, though, like, he told me from the very first session that he likes to set out to do the exact opposite of what the DM expects. <laughs> like, he sets out to not do whatever the DM wants. So, I mean, already set the mood of well I'm not going to enjoy this but like it also made it extremely easy to have him do exactly what I wanted him to do because like I would just make it seem like I wanted him to do the opposite oh no don't grab that bracelet that other guy had he grabs it oh it's a cursed bracelet <laughs> I'm starting to see why you said I was lawful evil though <laughs> um, but before, like, I joined the group, there was, like, a lot of bad experiences I had that were just, like, players didn't make people feel welcoming. And I feel like that's the worst possible thing for that guy to do is make it feel like you're not wanted at the table. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which I've had that experience, so I set out to make sure that I don't give people that impression that I don't want them there. 
I don't always succeed. I'm sure sometimes I've probably given the wrong impression, but I really do try and make sure that that's not something that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the D and D table needs to be a place where you know, like it, anyone can can feel like they can sit down and have fun as long as they're willing to, you know, like play within the rules. Uh, or, or play within the comfort zone of everyone at the table. But yes, everyone does need to feel welcome at the at the gaming table. So yeah, that, that definitely is one of the worst things that you can do at your gaming table is make someone feel like they shouldn't be there. And this is... Uh, so I bring it up here because we're telling stories now. Um, again, I just want to reiterate, Austin, who has been on the show is not that guy but i have to Absolutely ask not. i have to ask every single one of you that comes on what is your favorite austin moment i think just one because like is it the funniest moment or <laughs> there was a time that i brought back ron bronze beard mm-hmm. he wasn't even expecting <laughs> that so like he was just sitting there, mouth wide open, like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, like, his interaction, Ron's interaction with Witcher Cole, I loved, like, how he was, like, the exact opposite of him. Mm-hmm. So there was just, this, like, massive amount of antagonism between them. Um, which, you know, that's that could show that like antagonism between player characters can absolutely work. Hmm. Um, having him like have every single character there for a session. Um, <laughs> God. Austin, like when you really let him, like when he's most in sync with the party, he just has all these amazing moments that's impossible to pick. Mm-hmm. Just one, it really is. Um, probably though, like because nobody else was really aware of this, of this but me and it. Sorry. <laughs> when BZ died, mm-hmm. I told him, you have the option, like, BZ could survive this, or I can, like, have him go back in a way that he can be revived. Because at that point, he was separated from everybody else, but there was still the possibility they could be revived. Mm-hmm. But he said, no, I think it's fitting for the story to have BT die here. So that's why you only got BT's ad back. Mm-hmm. Instead of, like, everything. Because, like, Austin was willing to sacrifice his character mm-hmm. for the sake of, like, giving the story that extra weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, BT's death is definitely up there in in kind of the the pantheon of my D memories as well just the way that whole fight played out uh the the way that it ended and the way that austin sacrificed bt in the end it it, it was truly epic it it really was and it it was a great moment of closure for that character and it was a stroke of brilliance for him to, to say, I'll I'll let BT go for the sake of this moment because it's it's really that awesome of a moment. So now we come to our last of these introductory questions. 
there's been a little bit of a competition amongst our group to one up each other, as you may have heard. Um, Austin really threw down the gauntlet with that first interview. Kyle took it to completely new heights. Uh, so, so Muhammad, if you could put anything on a T-shirt, what would it be? I've been thinking about this for so long. <laughs> my original answer was going, like I just changed my answer earlier today. My original answer was going to be, um, it just says, for your own safety, don't stare at my ass. And I'd pair with booty shorts that have the anti-life equation printed on them. <laughs> but recently, I've had to change the answer to, since it can define the law of physics, just a shirt that's playing on loop, Cats 2019, <laughs> the pre version. <laughs> I want to interact with anybody who has not been subjected to that masterpiece. You know, I've watched that movie twice now, right? <laughs> Willingly. <laughs> oh, God. Now, just just the fact that we can now patch movies. We've really come far as a society, and by come far, I mean we've taken at least three steps backwards. Yeah, it's just having it play on loop. They're trying to talk to me and, like... <laughs> Jason Derulo's on there, like telling us about uh, how he's uh, whatever he was, Rumtum Tugger. So that one. Gotcha. Well, now that we are through our introductory questions, I guess we should kind of start at the beginning of of how we kind of met. So I've already told the story of we connected over a Reddit post of me looking for a game. Uh, what what was it that kind of drove you to make posts of your own? Because I know you had a few out there as well looking for a game in, in the area. And the year before, I had started to like run a 5e campaign that didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had kind of taken a break to focus on my studies, but then things were in a pretty good place. And I was really missing DMing. So after a couple of false starts, I um, put the ad online and I ended up finding you. Um, I remember that I also posted an ad on Get Some Game directly. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of like going everywhere to try and find players because, I mean, you experienced the first hand. Mm-hmm. We pretty much had no consistent players for like literally the first three months. Mm-hmm. But I was like determined that as long as I have two people there, I would run a session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I mean, we ran with uh, just two players, I think for a solid three months, maybe. Was it that long that we, that we ran Something with just two like players? Something like that. I remember um, as Joe, Noel, Greg and all showing up at one point or another. Mm-hmm. We had the guy who was there beforehand who had been there for like three sessions, four sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the longest time, it was pretty much just you, me, and then David eventually. Mm-hmm. Yep. And 
I mean, we 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 need to tell a couple of the stories about that first uh, that first player that showed up. We had some doozies in the early days. We'll keep these people nameless. Uh, but the first player that came in, I believe he started out as a cleric that was going to multi-class into wizard, and he had a companion that was his little daughter. Honestly, his character idea was great. It was a death cleric who kind of like lost her faith because um, her husband had died and like the setting, I kind of regret the setting now because I made it this like post-magical apocalypse. I, I was trying too hard to be distinct, but that aside, like the character was great in concept. And I had so many cool ideas for what could go on with the daughter. Like, I kind of had this idea of she was, because she was so young, she had all this potential ways that she could go if she ever became an adventurer and sort of like opening all these paths for her. But the player ended up leaving. Um, it was a... As he said, it was because his like schedule wasn't lining up anymore and he kind of needed to step back from gaming. I could tell, though, like our styles weren't really meshing. Like, yeah, he did take things pretty far with that, like um, torturing a goblin and like, because I think, you know, I tried to set out that um, in my settings, like, there is no such thing as always evil or mm -hmm. like with the exception of demons and angels, there's no, these are always evil. These are always good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that I've carried over into my games. Uh, I'm actually doing that right now with my dark sun game. My players uh, just encountered for the first time uh, that their characters would know because orcs are extinct in Dark Sun, but they encountered orcs and goblins for the first time, uh, just kind of hidden away somewhere in the desert. And these guys are, they're, they're noble and they're, you know, just trying to survive, just trying to get by the same way everyone else is on Athos. And it's it's really been, I think, a little bit challenging for some of them because... You know, they see the orcs and initially they're like, um, uh, should we be going for our swords? And I'm just like, Let, let's see what they want first. I definitely could have like shown it better with like more of the uh, orc and goblin societies. It definitely came up well when um, with one of us's characters being a orc goblin wizard mm. who actually became like one of Cromwell's most trusted allies at a point basically. Yeah, absolutely. And then I remember one other time, not only did he uh, he executed that one goblin that we had tied up, but I it, very early on you had given his daughter a pet spider, specifically a pet wolf spider, this being half wolf, half spider, lest, lest we leave that detail out. Early my entire campaign started because I wanted to introduce those enemies. I was like, I love the idea of a uh, wolf, have spider. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make a campaign so I can have it in there. Absolutely. And so we had this baby wolf spider that uh, the, the daughter had picked up. And almost immediately, 
he he gets the daughter to hand him the spider and the daughter kind of runs off on her own and he sticks the spider on the ground and stomps on it, looks directly at Muhammad out of character and says, no pets. Apparently he had had a bad experience, so... And in that moment, as soon as he did that, in my mind, I immediately went, thank God I'm a hunter ranger, not a beast master, because we'd have problems. Other than the beast master being absolute ass in 5th edition. It'll be better once revised ranger comes out eventually. Yep. Yeah, Um, Unearthed Arcana fixed it a little bit, but base it's no no don't do it um i mean you did show how effective rangers can actually be hmm. for anybody who thinks rangers are weak that uh <laughs> um my players in one of my other groups uh was just commenting like just about the stories like this guy what the hell <laughs> about uh the player that you're talking about honestly though i mean there was the other guy, the monk, who tried to steal a dart from a dragon in a city where the ultimate crime was stealing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which yep. is... <laughs> yeah, we found ourselves in this uh, this city. It was a society of dragons, uh, like, like Muhammad said. All these different dragons, both chromatic and metallic. Those of you who know your monster manual are already like, no, it's not going to work. Spoilers, it didn't. Yeah, I really should have worked that out better, but made for cool set pieces. So it, it really did. That was a that was a fantastic uh, city and a fantastic kind of sandbox for us to run around in. But we get there, and the the one thing that Muhammad really hammered home about this world is, you know, if you have enough coin, you can get away with anything. The exception is thievery. You cannot get away with theft. Stealing is basically the only crime that's unforgivable. You'll be executed if you're caught stealing. And immediately, this monk player goes, I'm going to try and steal a dart. Because we were in this, uh, it was like a gladiatorial battle, and we were fighting uh, a half-dwarf, half-orc. I think we kept calling him a dork. Or a dwork. The dwarf was the other guy. This one was like the, uh, no, no, yeah, it was the dwarf. Yep, the dwarf. Yeah, we kept calling him the dwarf. And he, uh, <laughs> as soon as this battle was over, he's just like, I'm going to try and steal this dart. And I immediately looked over at him. I'm like, are you insane? It was an ordinary dart. Yeah. Yeah, this was not a magic dart. This was not like a plus three dart. It's just a regular dart. Anyways, after that, they all they both get their gear back for the month player. That includes five darts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, just... I have no idea what this guy was. Sometimes I think people come to the table with these ideas of what D&D is that they've, you know, read online or heard their friends talk about, and they want to emulate it, but they don't think about the context of what they're doing. I've definitely been guilty of that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure Austin has too, and a few of the other players. Like, 
we read the like green text stories and stuff and we're like i want moments like those and we set out to make them instead of letting them happen naturally mm-hmm. yeah i mean which, Luke... oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say which once you like mellow down and don't like focus on that things get a lot better yeah yeah and something that luke hart and i were were talking about on the couple episodes ago when he was on uh a lot of those stories you know you hear that one side and all the cool stuff that happened but what you don't hear about is what all the other players at the table were experiencing while that player was trying to set up this this epic moment would explain your reaction to the end of the campaign yeah oh yeah we'll get there we'll get there but (laughs) so at this point you know i've been really the only consistent player from the beginning and then david shows up and you know david's been on the show we've talked a lot about piper but from the very beginning uh the way that piper established himself as just the boss killer there always seems to be that one player at every table who always gets in the last shot, and that was Piper. It's not even like he meant to. It just always worked out that way. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then by the time we were at epic level and he was just an invisible machine gun of uh, crossbow bolts, it just made things worse. I believe at one point you had to tell him that he could not have is I think it was boots of flight because he could cast invisibility on himself and cast fireball. And at that point, he'd be a stealth bomber. (laughs) I don't remember if I told him straight up he could not have boots of flight. I think he was just already at his attunement limit or something. Mm hmm. And then from there, uh, you know, at that point, somewhat inconsistently, but she she did eventually kind of work things out. Uh, Ash joined the campaign and Ash joined with uh, Kaltarian, who ended up being one of the more divisive characters <laughs> at the table. We love Ash. Ash, you're you're fantastic. She's been on the show before. But some of the stuff that Kaltarian did in in her time was uh interesting shall we say from the moment that she dropped a fireball in a music shop because the proprietor would not give her the uh the epic level or the the high level magic item for like 15 gold, I think, was the price she was trying to get it for. I immediately was just like, "What? what's going on over there? And then we later retconned that, so I'm curious to be Gibetto. Yep, yep, Gibetto Timbers. Gibetto Magic Fingers. I can't even begin to remember all those nicknames. That Kyle and then in another up. campaign, a couple of my players... <laughs> Ended up becoming Kultarian's lawyers and like getting her out, getting her off scot free by like proving that he was actually committing insurance fraud. Mm-hmm. Yep. Honestly, one of my proudest moments as a DM is still forcing Ash to sit down and make the first character. 
because I like feel like if I had not done that, then they would have like watched a couple of sessions and maybe not physically joined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember early on, uh, Ash was very kind of hesitant to jump in. She was a little bit nervous about the whole thing, and it took her took her a little bit to to really kind of learn the book and and you know get serious about the whole thing. And part of it was she was inconsistent because of her work schedule at the time. But then I also remember uh, she she was bringing friends to the table. Uh, Noel was the first one. And I remember that, that first, uh, session where Noel showed up with, uh, with Nelbium, the assassin who, uh, immediately revealed that, that he was an assassin. <laughs> we meet this character in a cave and the character goes, I'm Nelbium. I kill people. It was the first time, like, mm-hmm. playing a role-playing game. She eventually got the hang of it, so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at that point, Bill and Ted were still traveling with you guys as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we still had the Bill and Ted elves. We had already done the uh, Dragon Skull Cook fighting ring. Mm-hmm. But... Just to counteract, okay, so we already told the story about there was the one guy who sort of like executed that goblin without mercy. That sort of similar story was like the Pied Piper mm-hmm. where there was that one dark gnome who was kidnapping kids and eventually you guys hear out his story, like you beat him, you hear out his story and at uh, first everybody else is like, okay, we'll bring him in. But then Piper loads up his crossbow kills the guy and I wasn't as angry about that one because that felt more in line with like <laughs> Piper um, was like mm-hmm. the guy was already dangerous he had mind control magic he had already attacked the group and forced the group to fight each other mm-hmm. so it made sense that Piper wouldn't take any chances and would just take the shots mm-hmm. absolutely but yeah, I mean, we, we've all heard about kind of the, the group dynamic. Um, one thing we, we really absolutely need to discuss uh, when, when it comes to that game is, of course, the way that it ended. Because that that was a moment. And I've already, like, I've talked this over with uh, with Ashley on the show. That was a moment today I counted as one of my best experiences in role-playing. At the time, man, I was pissed. So from from your end of the table, how like how did that look at your end of the table? How did that play out from your perspective? Let's say right off the bat, I definitely could have handled things a lot better. Like I brought like I do wish I had known what Kyle was planning. If I had known, I feel like mm-hmm. I could have prepared for it. At the same time, like thinking back on it does feel in a weird way thematically appropriate. Mm-hmm. Like 
tell the world when tell quite literally Ron Ron's beard um, for like just because I know my players are listening in and they don't know the stories so like they were going up against not Tiamat like there was Tiamat and Albany mm-hmm. and they've been building up for this for weeks literally like we've had planning sessions where the only thing they did in those sessions was fortify themselves get magic items work out battle plans they were going in fully prepared to fight this guy including having a melon in the palmut with an artifact weapon specifically to take on tiamat hmm. and they were all going there to fight and then the uh paladin barus it's like actually i'm on your side tiamat and like gives up his weapon Tiamat doesn't believe him, so to prove his allegiance, he kills one of the other player characters. I think the kobold. Yep. Yeah, he, he attacked Austin's kobold monk. <laughs> so he immediately falls. Koltarian at this point had become a lich and chose that moment to reveal herself. It was supposed to be this like huge epic reveal. But it just kind of happened. There were a couple of players, there were a couple of characters, I should say, who did not like Cromwell already. So, <laughs> because they were under the impression that Cromwell was evil through no fault of his own. Mm. Well, some fault of his own. Yes. Cromwell was cantankerous, we'll, we'll put it that way. So, they sided with Tiamat because they're like, well... We know you're evil. He could not be as evil, so... Others said with Cromwell. Cromwell and his group ended up taking down all the other player characters because they were the DPS. And then Braun Bronzebeard. <laughs> Fun maniac wastes like everybody who was good and himself. He knew himself well enough to know he needed to have that clause or to go to a different planet. Yep. And so the campaign ended with them leaving that planet to rot and just starting life on a new one. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like for Cromwell, that is weirdly thematically appropriate. Yes. Because by this point, his dad was a tyrant. His dad's advisor was a tyrant. His friend slash ex was a lich the dragon he'd been helping was now a tyrant like every time he took one down it seemed like another just rose up in his place mm-hmm. so to just sort of be tired of that and want to go off somewhere else feels like would be appropriate but at the same time i could like understand like yeah once one tyrant falls another rises but what else am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, my reaction to it, first of all, I overreacted. I was very upset that, you know, the party fractured. I was also upset that we didn't get to fight Tiamat because um, I thought we could I thought we could take her. I honestly did. We had enough level 20 characters there. Most of us could put out massive amounts of damage at that point. You know, I was I was a hunter ranger. Uh, 
Piper, as we mentioned, was a machine gun on legs. We had all kinds of DPS and tanks that, that could, I think, we, we would have lost a few people, but we could have done it. And then we get there and everyone's just like, well, we can't win, so we're just going to join them. And Cromwell was not about to do that. But I had also, you know, I'd been playing Cromwell for almost three years at that point. Um, Cromwell been my only D&D character. And it, for all intents and purposes, I was Cromwell. And in that moment, I was Cromwell. And it was one of those weird moments where you forget you're playing a game. And so I not only felt that Kaltarian had betrayed Cromwell, I felt that Ashley had betrayed me. <laughs> and I was just like, how could you? And I just, I was, oh, I was so pissed off. But it was a really beautiful moment. It really worked out well. And it was thematically appropriate for my character's story. Which, and, you know, this is something that I, I really do have to applaud you again as a DM. You were able to take a story that very much centered around my character and what my character was after my goals. Because just, I'd been the longest serving player. But also involve other people and give them their own stories and make them feel like they were a part of this narrative we always joke that Cromwell was the main character, and in a lot of ways he might have been, but I don't think anyone at that table ever felt left out, and that's all on you. That's You, you did a great job of making sure that everyone had their moment to shine. Honestly, like I said, it helps that Cromwell was like done so well. Like, you took a very archetypal character character we've seen in Zuko, we've seen in Nergon, we've seen in like a bunch of other characters. But you really did like you acted him so well. Um you put like so much life into him that it never felt stale. And I will say that it definitely started to center around Cromwell, but not necessarily in a bad way. Mm -hmm. Like even players started like bringing in characters who tied themselves into Cromwell from the get-go. Like, so at one point, I was running a second character who was a monk whose temple was destroyed by Cromwell's dad. Mm -hmm. Austin made a character who heard stories about Cromwell's deeds, Kate Crancer, and like, so he was, he looked up to Cromwell, and then when he felt like Cromwell betrayed that legacy, he felt personally yeah. betrayed. Yeah. Oh, like, not my proudest moment. But it made for such good stories. Like, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, I feel like the group, like, not just the group, but you in particular helped. So, a lot of these things that we hear about that could be seen as bad can work really well. Like, like with the standard character, the standard ranger, well, you breathed life into him and made him like the center of the group in a lot of good ways. You really made him a leader. Oh, well. 
Hmm. One thing I will say, um, <clears throat> just as a, a piece of advice for anyone who's uh, making a character, if you see your character as being a leader or you know you, you find yourself taking a leadership role, don't make charisma your dump stat. Because that's what I did. And it led to a lot of Ryan said a good line, but also rolled terribly and has no bonuses. So everyone just kind of has to ignore it. That's one thing I would like looking back, I would have done differently. I wouldn't have relied on your roles so much for that. I would have like, well, that works. So, um, Yeah, like hindsight's twenty twenty. There's definitely stuff I would have done differently, but mm-hmm. I did love the campaign. I love pretty much every character and the, all the players. Hmm. And of course, we have to uh, talk about the campaign that I ran uh, at, at some points concurrently with the the campaign that you were running towards the very end. Um, and one thing that that was really kind of special about the campaign was my campaign tied directly into your world and was set I think we did a full 20 years before your campaign or maybe it was 15 something, something like that Cromwell was like 17 or something yeah yeah there was there was young NPC Cromwell who I did my damnedest to keep out of everything that was going on to the point I'm where trying to force him to both was. Yeah. I was just like, he's not, he's sir not appearing in this, this part of the story. And at some point, Mutrakal was protecting Cromwell. And the idea was Cromwell's going to ride off over here and have his own adventures. Then you guys are going to continue to be the focal point, but you wouldn't let him go because your character had to protect him. Way back for like that one DMPC cleric I brought around to like help soar up the group while we were sort on players. But then once there were enough players, I tried to get rid of, but you guys forced to stick around. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amber. Good old Amber. <laughs> but yeah, that, that game in a lot of ways, well, in every way it taught me how to GM cause it was my first game. But I remember that first session where I just, made the the immediate rookie mistake of putting too many orcs in the first encounter and nearly killed everyone. That, that moment honestly and made me D&D very... 5. Say what? Fairness, D&D 5e first level is like... Well, you know I bring it on 5e, but like... Mm-hmm. First level especially is really brutal. Yeah. But once you get past that, it spits out some... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, once you get past, there's this weird thing of, you know, the first three levels, things are pretty hard for you. Uh, and then, you know, right around level level four, level five through about level 10, that's kind of like the sweet spot of the game. And then once you get past level 10, you find that your players begin trouncing things very easily, especially... If you've been giving out magic items, not even if you've been giving out too many magic items, if you've been giving out the recommended amount of magic items, 
once you get past 10th level, you have to start kind of beefing up monsters or throwing more things in there because your players are just wrecking shop. Let's open the rest of the power game and rolls up a paladin. Yep. Oh, yeah, nobody in the group is ever going to fail and save again. Sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I distinctly remember this was towards the end of the game, but, you know, as a paladin, you've got these these certain effects that you know make you immune to certain things that demons and undead can do and a lot of my end game focused around demons and i remember there was one session you couldn't make and so the whole thing was mutrakal got captured and you guys have to find him and so you know we get to the next session and i'm doing just this quick thing this quick thing beforehand of this is what happened to mutrakal and we're playing it out and everything I threw at Mutrakal, Mutrakal was just like, nope, nope. Advantage on this. You have disadvantage to do this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> My and, defense, I wasn't doing it intentionally. I just really like relevance, and I felt like the auras mm-hmm. were great, like, group things to bring to the table. Yeah. At that point, I was not aware of just how much damage Pelotin could put out. Mm-hmm. Because nobody in the group was running one. Like yeah, in my this, campaign, so. this was like a 17th level paladin, I think. And I just, I didn't even think about it when I was like, this is going to end with demons. I didn't even think one of my players is a paladin. And just the the sheer number, I had like columns of flying demons flying in. And Mutrakal was just like, nope, 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 nope. But it was... I mean, it was truly, it was a learning experience for me, and it was truly a an awesome moment of just what a paladin can do. And and honestly, Mutrakal, Mutrakal is one of my favorite player characters that, that has been at the table, just because the, the banter that you would engage in with me, it a lot of times just kind of turned into us role-playing back and forth at each other. You know, it got existing for the other players, so I did try and turn it down and I did not do a good job. Mm-hmm. Like, I am so sorry to everybody else for having to put up with me, but mm-hmm. look, banter got a band. Yep. But I, I mean, Damon Darkholm, this is a character we have not brought up on the show yet, but Damon Darkholm was this, uh, this higher level druid who was brought in to kind of be a friend slash love interest slash mentor for uh, Ash's character at the time. It was Latteros. Latteros was a druid. And so I brought this character in. apologize out of time for this. (laughs) I brought this character in just, you know, to to give Latteros something else, someone else to play off of. And, he shows up, he's wearing this wolf skin over his head, and he wrote this book called Damon Darkholm's Direwolf Dalliances about how he had lived amongst the wolves. And when he's talking about the... Someone asked him about the wolf head that he was wearing, and he said, oh, this belonged to my brother who brought me into the pack. This was, you know... This was the the wolf who mentored me, and when he died, his last words were, I no longer need this. This belongs to you now. Take my hide. And immediately, 
Mutrikal goes, you're wearing your brother's skin? <laughs> I just did not let up on that guy. I do not know why I had it out for him, but like, I just did not let up on him. He was kind of an edgelord, in fairness. He, he, was, he was very much kind of that, that character. Um, but just, you were so ruthless to Damon Darkholm. <laughs> it really should have rolled up a bard because my vicious mockery skills were on point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. I've never... I, I, it was one of those moments as a GM where I was like, I need to... I feel like I'm on the defensive here. <laughs> this is someone who's supposed to be your friend. <laughs> But What's no, he's like, which color is normally like this nice, jovial guy who was like, cop is because he was like trying to take in like uh, any enemies that we'd be. He would try to bring them in like unconscious instead of killing them, with like the exception being when somebody was really just beyond redemption, only then would he actually set out to kill them. Mm-hmm. But, like, he would almost always go for like catching, uh, capturing people alive. But for whatever reason, he just did not let up on this guy. And that was all me. And I really should not have done that. <laughs> like, it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. But it was also out of character and just probably did more on the campaign than good. It, it was all good. It was fine. But yeah, we, I mean, we had some great moments in that campaign as well. Uh, one that you were. I believe directly responsible for that being the shit storm. <laughs> that was our jailbreak. Right? Just, mm-hmm. Was it like we convinced everybody to just start hurling shit at like all the guards? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I just recently played through Mafia 2, I believe is the one where you have this whole sequence in jail. And so I was like, okay, we're, we're coming up on this moment. I need something to put into this campaign. I need something to happen here. Uh, they get overwhelmed. They're, you know, with this resistance cell, they get overwhelmed by this attack and they get captured. Um, and so now, you know, they're, they're in jail. We're introducing a new character that's in jail as well. How the girl is entirely made of snakes. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. We stand by that with her snake arms. Was it Sariel? Was that it? I did not remember. <laughs> I think it. I, I think bad it, with names. I think it was Sariel. So I do. Re, I do remember speaking of being bad with names. How long it took everyone to kind of learn each other's names in the beginning. Keep in mind, I used to like called you Cromwell. I literally could not remember your name for like the weirdest, longest time. Same with David. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's one thing I want to encourage everyone at home to do. Uh, If you can't remember your players' names at the beginning, remember their characters' names. Because at least at that point, you have something to anchor to your players. And that's, I mean, you're ultimately there to play the game, so it's important to, to know everyone's name. On the character sheet, but this uh, the, the shitstorm. 
I was, you know, I had a couple ideas for things that you guys could do to get out of there. You know, a couple hooks here or there. I did not count on you taking hold of the waste bucket and literally throwing feces at a guard and starting a poo fight. My only regret is that because it was a ranged attack, I could not divine spite it. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I probably would not be DMing anymore if you had divine smited with an attack using poo. I probably would have just had to end my career there. But yeah, that it worked. By thunder, it worked. I will say, like, like I was saying earlier, like you show a lot of ways that things that could normally be seen as like not good can work out so well. Mm-hmm. Your your campaign was a lot more structured than mine. Like. There were events set in place. I'm trying to avoid using the term railroading because I don't want to, like, because that's such a negative connotation to it. But there were events that we could not avoid. Like, we couldn't avoid being captured and sent to jail. We couldn't avoid certain fights. But how we handled those situations, we did what we did once we were in those events was up to us. So while we didn't have full control it was it wasn't necessarily a bad thing because it provided more structure to the campaign there was more of like you knew what was going to happen so it was easier to plan Hmm. and it still allowed us to get all these great moments out like one of Lawson's characters turning one of your assassins to stone the battles against the demons were always like just these epic moments Mm -hmm. Um, I also remember because my character was noble but at this point like he hated his family so like the party would stay at his uh, family's house they had all left and so the party was like so can we ransack the place and the in character go yeah so I need to hear go crazy so we pull on red second place set on fire. Mm-hmm. You're also one of the uh one of the few D D characters who rather than having a dead par- or rather than having dead parents, uh killed his own parents over the course of the campaign, or at least killed his own father. My dad, I don't think I killed my mom. Yeah, she might have Yeah, because I think she might have already been dead. <clears throat> I think so. Um, the only other like good person was I probably like no no because the good person was Cromwell's sister. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember because like my character's dad was like a high-ranking noble in Cromwell's father's kingdom, so it's like he was not a good person as would be expected, but like. And when my my character like slowly came to the realization more and more and like just kind of became man, I do not remember the 
Sherman, like, he just fell out of love with the nobility, mm. except for Cromwell and because Cromwell's sister. Yep. And so we're at, we're kind of running up against time here. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I, I've loved kind of, you know, talking with you again about some of these old memories. One thing I just want to end on here real quick uh, before we kind of jump into our ending stuff. Um, as we've already said, our group not only, you know, became a, a regularly meeting, regularly playing D&D group, but we also became close friends and close family, which is something that a lot of people don't get, especially from games that start with an LFG thread. Uh, and so I, I honestly just wanted to, to thank you for being part of that and for, you know, giving me that at that time in my life, you know, while I was in college while I was kind of lonely and kind of figuring out, you know, who who am I and what am I doing with my life? You and Austin and Joe and Lucas and Ashley and Noel and Kyle and David, you guys were all there, all part of it. And and Craig as well. Um, Joe, did I mention Joe? I feel like I said his name twice. We're a big family. Absolutely. Yes, there's a lot of us. But you guys were all there to, you know, just just help me along and we all helped each other along. We all had a great relationship and we still love each other to this day. And so I just I really wanted to thank you for, for being part of that and for giving me that like moment. those like when I was in Charlotte, those sessions were the highlights of my week every single time. They were just always something to look forward to and like my advice for anybody who's like trying to find a group is for somebody who used to be very socially awkward and is still very socially awkward who used to be very introverted never really go out of his way and didn't have a lot of friends it's hard but like if you really do make that effort if you take that first step you can and like it take an active part in it you can really that's how you find a group that's right for you and like that's what i had to do and i'm so thankful to myself that i did and like so thankful that i found you and like you were setting up to the same thing and like as to like every single one of us we all had to take that step forward to become part of the group and that's really how it works like when everybody comes together it's just that's how you go from just like this game that you play once a week to family that you're hanging out with constantly mm -hmm. absolutely well Muhammad, that's going to do it for today's episode uh thank you so much for you know coming on and, and telling these stories Real quick, uh, just as as we're at the end here, if there's anything you want to promote, I've got one thing I want to promote here real quick, but if there's anything you've got uh, that, that you want to promote or shout out, go for it. It is at a, it's your floor. There's two games that I would want love for people to check out. One I already mentioned is one of my favorite game systems right now. It's called uh, Lancer. It's... Um, 
made by this guy who does this webcomic called Killed Six Billion Demons. And it's this mech combat RPG with like, it uses a combat system that's very reminiscent of D&D 4th edition, but with like numbers made better. You build your own mech by getting these licenses and you can put together some really cool stuff. Um, it's a lot of fun if you're looking for something for if you're looking for like a good tactical mech combat game. It's uh, what campaign that I'm playing in right now is using it and I'm having so much fun with it. The other one is another mech game called Bean Saber that I was much experienced with this one yet, but it's a uh, more narrative driven one using the uh, Forged in the Dark system. It's um, you put together like a crew and go on missions. It's uh, very much like built. Both games are very much team-based games and they're a lot of fun. So anybody looking for a good mech game, check them out. Absolutely. And one thing I want to promote here real quick, um, guy who was in our group, Kyle Smith, he is also a content creator uh, who's who's got a, a relatively new show up and running now on YouTube. Uh, it's an actual play with uh, one of the, the groups that he's running. Um, and the, the channel is Our Table. Uh, that's That's the name of the channel, that's the name of the show. They currently have four episodes up, a session zero, and then three uh, actual play episodes. Uh, so once again, that's our table. I'll drop the link in the uh, the show notes on YouTube and on the podcatcher. I'll tweet something out uh, tomorrow just to remind you guys that it's that it's going on. Uh, but, you know, check out Kyle's content. He's, you know, he... He's a great guy. You've heard him on the show. He has a ton of crazy cool ideas. I even know a lot of these people that that are in this group, I'm pretty sure, uh, since Kyle and I did a few classes together when we were in college. Maybe just ask him about his plans beforehand, just so you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, ask him Ask him what his paladin is going to do and if, if he should clear it with his god first. <laughs> but... Yeah, just check out our table on YouTube. I'll drop the link in the description. Uh, but other than that, that's going to do it for today's episode, ladies and gentlemen. Next week, I'm flying solo. I'm going to do a stream that is dedicated to a game I just ran for James Bond Radio. That, of course, being uh, the James Bond role-playing game from 1983. I'm going to be doing a deep dive on that and the uh, the updated... Uh, retro hack that you can get if you want to continue running that game in the modern world, uh, that being classified. So I'll be talking about both. Just a deep dive on the history and the rules, looking through that stuff. I'll have the visuals for you guys to see. Uh, But until then, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you decided to roll your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time. See you, man.